You look like you have kind of a heavy heart right now. Uh, you know what? It's not so much a heavy heart as I, a, I don't even know. I don't even know. I just, yeah. I just watched a soccer match, and I was just... So, so Devastated is not the right word, but I, I'm just it, not even heartbroken. It's more that I just, I just kind of knew what was going to happen. And even still, I was still sort of shocked that it happened the way that it happened. It's kind of like being in a relationship with a lover for a long time. It's one thing to walk in on them like getting plowed by the mailman, you know, it's a total surprise. Like, ah, what was this? But it's a, it's a, it's a, maybe a softer, but way darker thing when you just kind of knew it was happening all along and then it didn't even surprise you and you don't even have the courage to, to say anything at that point, you know, you just resigned that it's all over. That's what being a Liverpool fan is You know, is like, it's right? weird because that's also, I've also been in that situation. So maybe oh, I was just God. predestined. Oh, God. Maybe I was just predestined Wait, for Liverpool the, the fame. the mailman plowing thing or the, the, like the, where you knew it was over before it was over? The, the second one, yeah. No. The, I, no. I have to say of all, of all the euphemisms for fornicating with somebody, I think plowing is probably <laughs> the worst one. Oh, now I need to cry. I just think it's just like a wheelbarrow kind of action, just like walking around the room like you're plowing a field, like a fucking till. Well, I love you. Have a good day. Live from the Copper Hen in Minneapolis, we are the Daves you know. This is the Daves I know. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both know I can't do nothing at all. Soul Tree. What's up? How's it going, man? Hey, buddy. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm reconciling my life really? right now. Yeah, having a beer, eating some deviled eggs, some deviled rec- eggs. reconciling my life. You got a a, a charcuterie, eggs. a charcuterie plate over here. Cause, yeah, I do. Because we fancy now. Yeah, we we uh, we upgraded to the copper hand. I'm sure we're gonna get kicked out of here pretty soon. They they're not oh, used absolutely. to us doing this. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely, we're so gonna get di- kicked out of here before six o'clock. So, <laughs> yeah, and usually, usually you wait till the like, the one a.m. crowd. You're drunk. <laughs> you get thrown out on the street. We just get thrown out with all this equipment and stuff. Like, no, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Uh, yeah, no, alas. no soccer podcast here. No, not allowed. <laughs> we only allow ladies with fucking bangs and gentlemen with amazing <coughs> fucking tight jeans. Neither of us are tight jeans people. Yeah, uh, I, no. I, I, I do have a pair of uh, tight jeans, Ooh. but I don't wear them often. So, oh, God. Yeah. You're not even muffin top, and you're fucking. What's worse than a muffin top? Mushrooming. Mushrooming. Yeah, you're mushrooming out <laughs> of those things. Uh, oh, how was, no. uh, I know how to dress myself, so even if I have tight jeans, I know how to look good in tight jeans. Do you? Yes, David. I know how to dress myself. I know how to look good. I know how to dress I don't in wear tight jeans, just, too. Lose yeah. 30 pounds. <laughs> so I'm Fair gonna, enough. I'm going to look into that. Yeah. Um, how's that new house treating you, man? So far, so good. Uh, yeah, we're. Uh, 
if you want to ransack it, we're going to be out uh, out of town for Thanksgiving. So, like anybody <laughs> or, oh, would wait. And by ransack it, I mean unpack all the rest of our boxes. Yeah. <laughs> Please, painting, yeah. if you want to come uh, to finish the uh, finish the box unpacking and paint the uh, basement of our uh, of our house, that'd be super awesome. Um, otherwise, no, it's good. Uh, we got a lot. Of, we got a lot of shit done. Uh, basically, the only thing that really isn't done. Honestly, it's like the bar, and mostly because we need to buy a couple of shelves to put our, our bar glassware on. Um, we have this really cool old uh, buffet that is basically serving as a bar for us. Oh, you're not even talking about the outside bar. No, no, no. The outside bar, well, the outside bar will need to get worked on well, this spring thought, when it's yeah. nice out. Yeah, no. The, the listeners don't know that your garage has a built-in oh, bar. Oh, my garage has, a, has, has the makings of a bar. It was, I think it was a, a gardening center from the previous owner? Not no, anymore. No, no. Not anymore. Nope. Motherfuckers, we're turning that shit into a bar. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm planning on getting a kegerator because we have electricity out there and we can plug in a, a fridge, have be pouring uh, taps. Uh, pre-games 2019 for sure, maybe even 2018 at our place uh, for Minnesota United. It's going to be fucking be a awesome. a beautiful thing. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Family friendly because there's, there's grass so you can let your kids fucking run around. That's what makes it family yeah. friendly. While you, well, you and your yeah. wife get shit hammered. <laughs> yeah, it's family friendly. I mean, as yeah. long as you ignore the, the inebriates and the swearing and the Listen, constant gun violence We won't light up the fire pit until after the game is over. So like, you can Let's, come to it before the game. And that's very sweet good, of you. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good. My kids will love coming over there when we definitely do that. Never. Um, we have a cat that they can chase around on the inside of the house. You, you got know. a great cat. Yeah. You got a great cat. Uh, two but, great um, cats, but yeah. Our anyways. loyal listeners didn't come here to learn about Dave Seller's cat. Nope. Probably. <laughs> There's probably one or two of them out theoretically there. Theoretically not. No, we came here to talk about soccer. So let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Um, <coughs> first, I'm going to cough into the mic. <coughs> oh, you did too, right? Yeah. It's fucking going well, I around. Tried, I tried to cough away. See, I got this thing where I eat almonds, and then I start coughing, because apparently I don't know how to eat almonds. Yeah, so, well, on, and that really nice charcuterie plate that you have. Yeah, this char- this uh, charbecue or whatever it is. <laughs> charbecue is pretty good, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to eat it while we're talking. Uh, so a couple of things we're going to talk about. We have a, an abbrevi- It's not an abbreviated podcast, <laughs> but it's going to be a different uh, format. So we're going to talk MLS playoffs. Uh, it's a weird time to talk about MLS playoffs because we're recording this before Tuesday night's games, but it's going to be released after Tuesday. Like literally, so, like ninety minutes before the games kick right, off. Right, right. So. so, so everything that we say is going to be blown out of the water by the games that happen tonight, and it's going to sound foolish tomorrow. But we're going to talk about the oh, series. Oh, prescient. Oh, yeah. We might sound like you never know. Yeah. Um, so what we're probably going to do is just talk about the series in general, what to expect from them, what each team is going to bring to that, and who we think is going to walk away from the series, uh, the victor. We're going to talk a little bit about some Europe highlights. Um, today was Champions League. Highlights. Hi- highlights, lowlights, all kinds of lights. Um, and then we're going to uh, actually go into uh, an interview with R.J. Allen. R.J. Allen is the uh, founder and editor at uh, Chief chief editor at uh, BacklineSoccer.com. So we're going to hear from her a little bit about the women's soccer world. We don't talk about Woso too often, but um, we're going to hear about that. Touch briefly on the uh, FCKC uh, fucking debacle and them going yeah, to ISL and stuff like that. I don't. Uh, by the way, I don't have an NWSL team to root for basically anymore because uh, the Blues were my, my ladies. So um, if uh, the, the polls are open. What should be the Who next should be NWSL? The Dave's, who should be the Dave's NWSL team? Yes. We'll support you open. wholeheartedly. Yes, we're a democracy. Maybe here, even so. with uh, sponsorship money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's, that's no, that sounds about. awesome. That I, I, I'm very looking forward to I've, You did the interview separately from me, so I'm very excited to hear what, uh, what RJ has to say. It sounds like... We needed someone who knew how to talk to women. So Listen. So I did it. Yeah. We're both married. 
I mean, we didn't ask. We didn't ask. Uh, technically, we're both married. Yeah, mean, you know, we didn't ask some of the other writers to talk to the. No, that would have been a huge, no, that huge mistake. Terrible, no. terrible idea. So no, they don't even know how to talk to <laughs> us. Um, so let's talk MLS playoffs before right. it gets too weird here. All right, so I'm gonna start with Columbus and Toronto. Okay. Um, yeah, fuck I'll, Anthony I'll, Precourt. Thank you. I'll throw my thoughts out real quickly. First of all, uh, the biggest story coming out of this Toronto is going to be missing uh, Javinko as well as Altidore. Altidore for his little scrum in the uh, what do you call it? The fucking tarmac or whatever. The it tunnel. Is. Yeah, that. That weird, that really weird tunnel uh, in Toronto. That is not it's, like why were they in? Why, I we haven't really talked about this. I don't understand why were they they were in the same space, like. Normally the tunnel, like you split off and you go and you reach, but like apparently that that tunnel, either Sasha Kleshin was in the Toronto area or Josie was in the Toronto area, or they literally just share the entire tunnel, like Maybe all they share a locker all the room. way to the locker room. It's weird. I mean, I I, I know this from playing hockey. I grew up you know, grew up in Minnesota here, played hockey, you know, most of my uh, childhood, and even like we play like you you. One locker room on one side, the other locker room on the other side, and maybe you sh- you you met sort of as you're going into the ring because you kind of have to. But like you were not on the same side, like walking into the in the same part of the of the arena or of the tunnel or whatever between the the pitch and the locker room, or in my case, the the rink and the locker room. So what, I don't understand what the fuck is going on. But Sasha Question is apparently a soccer god because <laughs> he invoked uh, Josie Altidore to try and punch him for some reason. Upset about the World Cup shit. Josie Altidore I, who is, knows? Listen, I know we talked a couple episodes ago, and we were kind of giving Josie some shit, and apparently there was some stuff came out that people were questioning his citizenship and his ability oh, to be here, and that's yeah. fucked up. And and we don't obviously yeah. we don't condone that, but also because he's a pussy. And yeah, sucks. I mean, also Doesn't don't mean be that a, he's not a citizen. Yeah, don't be a pussy, and yeah. uh, you know you you kind of screwed the pooch. Like you have yep. to sort of own that, and you can't just get pissed off anytime yeah. someone. Uh, if you want to be a part of this U.S. men's national team, and I don't necessarily know if he should be or not, but if you want to be, like, you need to have a thicker skin than what Josie's shown in the last, like, three weeks. So, I don't does know. It, does it mean that soccer has finally made it that the U.S. not qualifying for the World Cup is an unmitigated disaster worthy of just just booze and mental breakdowns and all kinds of stuff? That's a weird positive sign, right? Because there was a time <laughs> in our lives when you would have been like, ah, fuck. And that was, would have been about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's a really dark, positive, positive sign, to right? out of this. No. And I don't know if it necessarily has, because 95% of sports journalists in this country oh, they don't couldn't name more than what, probably one person yeah, on the U.S. Fair. men's national team. So Within the bubble, it was very serious. Within the bubble, it was very serious. <clears throat> still a bubble. Within the bubble, it's been relatively okay. serious for quite some time. But, oh, like, good. 95% of, I mean, you, you pull 95% of uh, sports anchors in local stations, I bet you... Five percent of them can name two U.S. men's national team yeah. players, and that's barely two. And they can probably name Josie yeah. and Clint too, uh, for again because they fucked up and did some really weird, stupid shit. Not yep. that they're good soccer right. players. Tore up a referee's so, notebook. Or but let's talk about like so. You know, you mentioned that uh, Jivinko and Josie got those. They were suspended for this game. Yep. That gives the especially with this game being played in Columbus. That gives the uh, the advantage to Columbus. I think like a pretty significant advantage. And I really hope, I mean, we saw most of the first round games and you know, we looked, basically this happens throughout soccer, whenever there's a two-legged a match, <clears throat> is that the first game, the first leg, which is always played in, in the, you know, the, 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 
inferior side or the <clears throat> the lower seated team, they bunker in. They just try not to give up any goals, and they can bag one, you know, on the road and, and steal a, steal a win. Does this give? I mean, I know Toronto has a bunch of other players, the Vasquez being, you know, a, a really unstoppable force. But does this give Columbus some, especially considering what they did to New York City FC uh, in their first leg? Like maybe Columbus attacks and tries to put three or four on Toronto in Columbus. They have to because the only reason they escaped that New York series is because they had a 4-1 advantage coming out of that first leg, which was also at home for them. Um, Toronto is going to be back full strength when they're in the second leg at home. you got to think Toronto is going to put up a number uh, when they come back home. So I think Columbus has to put up a big number here. They have to play on the front foot. Um, I also think that Columbus needs to come out and attempt to get an away goal in that second leg. Whatever happens in the first leg, I don't care if they're sitting up 5 to nothing. They need an away goal, and away goal is crucial. It means the other team's got to put up another two, depending on what they did. You know, when they were on the road. So, um, I, the, you know, the shit they did against New York, where they really did come out and bunker on the second leg, they didn't look good. And it wasn't just because they were playing defensively. Went the few chances they got forward, they didn't finish their chances. No. Um, New York played them off the pitch. In fact, I, I, surprising New York didn't show more urgency than they did then. So, anyways, it, it showed honestly the second leg there that Columbus is vulnerable. Yeah. They need to play on the front foot in the first half. And they need to not be afraid to come out of their shell in the second leg, too. I mean, Columbus also knows, too, that if they win this if they win this series versus Toronto, they're hosting MLS Cup. Like, whoever wins this series hosts MLS Cup because their DC teams are both better than in the standings than uh, either of the Western Conference teams. So you win the series, you're hosting a one-off game to win MLS Cup. I mean, Columbus shit the bed last time they hosted MLS Cup. Yeah. But you never, you know, it's a, this. that's got to be a sort of a... I would hope, and, and you know, the, the players, it's they not, most of those players aren't necessarily from Columbus. They don't necessarily have an affinity to the team like the the crew fans and, and all the supporters groups do, but sure. you got to think that this has been galvanizing. And well, I'm interested to see what the actual crowd looks like. I mean, I know they only got about 14,000 for that game against uh, New York City, uh, which is not a sellout and is slightly disappointing. I totally understand and I get it, but... I mean, goddamn, you're the crew, uh, your crew fans. Like, I know you're putting money in that fucker Anthony Precourt's pocket, but mm-hmm. show up and, and like win a fucking MLS Cup, and then and yep. make make MLS move a team one year removed from an MLS Cup victory yep. to Austin. I mean, you that know. would be that would be a, a pretty amazing situation to put yeah. him in. I know we compared it to Major League. I'll just come back to that. <laughs> just. Right Fucking eighties, but kind of appropriate. Uh, hey, I'm going home to watch Total Recall with my wife tonight. You know the original version, or okay, not the Colin Farrell. Fucking okay, no, not that debacle. No, good original rated R. Three boobs, three over two times the normal (laughs) amount of breasts. You know, yeah, it's gonna be exciting. We're planning on it. So, anyways, I I was thinking about eighties movies all of a sudden. I guess Um, nice. Let's talk about Houston and Seattle. So uh, this is the lesser matchup for me. I don't care about this one as much as I care about the other one. Um, I think l- l- let's let's be clear about this. I think most people don't really actually give two shits about Columbus and Houston. It's all about Toronto and Seattle here. Columbus has the added benefit of that storyline, kind of you know. But in truth, people kind of want to see Seattle and Toronto. I mean, is that right? Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. probably mostly. Those are probably the better teams. Seattle had a, a shitty first half of the season and then a much better second half, just like they did last year when they actually fired Siggy Schmidt. You know, so um, I guess that's just their style now. Um, I So I don't know if Seattle are the favorites right now. I think they probably are. Um, what, over Houston or? Over Houston, yeah. Okay, yeah, probably. I, and uh, w- the thing about Seattle is that 
they, they, they come out in a 4-2-3-1, and um, those middle five are as good as any in the league when they're all healthy, particularly when Osvaldo Alonso is out there, which he may or may not be able to you know, provide some, some input during this series. Um, but, but they're as good as any, and that especially the three there, your Joven Jones, Clint Dempsey, and uh, um, the Nico Lodero, yeah. um, incredible. I, I, I'm guessing even secretly they wish they had somebody better than Will Bruin up top of that amazing three. But, but well, I mean, Bruin they, had an okay season. He was, they so. definitely are missing Jordan Morris. Uh, I think, you know, he's been out injured, and I think he would definitely add some more. I mean, Seattle... He's a, he's a great super sub, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the talent that Seattle has is pretty astounding and like we haven't even talked about the back line with Roman Torres yeah uh, Marshall I mean that being said Houston I mean I wrote the Dave's I know preview for Houston and I basically said this team is hot garbage on the road they need to score four goals at home and hope and hope against hope that they don't give up four on the road and what they do they went and beat Portland on the road again to be fair, a banged-up Portland team. Right. But they went out there and they took care of business. And I think, you know, they're, they're a Honduran uh, trio, uh, uh, Albert Ellis, uh, amongst others. Like, there's, they're buoyed by Honduras. You know, like, the run that Honduras made, obviously they're not, making, they're not in the World Cup, but I think they were just sort of buoyed by that. And it wouldn't surprise me if those guys come out. And I think, I mean, I think Houston knows that they need to score goals at home. I don't think they can expect to do the sort of the same thing where they bunkered in against Portland <clears throat> and hoped against hope that they would, you know, score one on the road and, and hold them to a shutout. Right. Um, uh, human garbage, human piece of garbage, Tyler Derrick is still out for Houston as far as I know. Uh, so again, I mean, they're playing with the backup keeper. Yep. They definitely, you know, they need to, uh, they need to score goals at home. So, you know, contrary to popular belief, I, I feel like with both of these games, just based on what we said, and, I know, and Seattle, Seattle's going to score. They're going to score goals. They're going to score goals, especially at home. Maybe you hope you can shut them down at, on the, you know, at, in Houston, uh, and you score two, and then you bunker in. Maybe you, but you're, I think you're right. I think both Houston and Columbus are going to need to score goals on the road in order to advance. And I, I am very much cheering for a Houston and Columbus final because... Fuck Don Garber. That would, <laughs> that would be amazing. Great. Fuck and, Don and Garber. Fuck the broadcasters too. Can you can yeah. you imagine just how many erect penises would go floppy limp with a Houston and Columbus game? Whatever. It'd be amazing. It yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, soccer fanboys like us are probably gonna are gonna watch regardless. Right. And Jack yeah. Crowd's probably gonna do an event, so we'll probably do something here yeah. in Minneapolis or St. Paul. But like randos, the people outside of the bubble, do not care about the Midwest Cup. And I no, I not know. at all. Yeah. So seriously, <clears throat> give give me give me a fucking Duluth Wichita cup <laughs> any day. Like, so yeah. So I, I mean, I am personally rooting for a Houston Columbus final, and and I, you know, I, and I think Houston has the goods to get it done on offense at home, and, and I don't know. We'll see what their defense can do. Their defense held up fairly well against Portland, but again, that was a Portland team that was injured, and yep. I don't think as talented, like one to eleven as. The Seattle team has Portland's has some probably some probably more talented players in Seattle, but one to eleven, I think Seattle right. is a much more talented team. And, um, I one of the things so Houston plays a four three three and they counterattack like holy hell. Uh, Seattle plays on the front foot is much more top heavy. Uh, they have two good center backs, but their fullbacks are not great. So I think 
that we actually could be in for a great end-to-end game because Seattle is going to play on is going to play high, going to play on the front foot anyways. They've got fullbacks that are opportune, and Houston wants to just just pounce down the field on a counterattack. Anyways, I think it could be end-to-end, fast-paced. Assuming both teams come out to play, and you know they're not just bunkering in. You know, I think this could be the series that's much much more fun than the other one. Um, yeah, go that'd Columbus, be amazing. go Houston. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if amazing. it actually takes shape. So who who do you have? Let's talk Columbus Toronto aggregate score here. Um, Toronto, right now, I'm leaning towards. I mean, with Josie and Jivinko out, I mean, I gotta, I gotta lean towards Columbus um, for the whole series. For the whole series, yeah. Okay. I think, I think Columbus gets enough done. I think they get uh, two at home. I think they get one on the road. I think they win, uh, uh, you know, three two, probably aggregate. aggregate. Yeah. I so I think <laughs> we're so so uh, different of this. Toronto's a deep team. Javinko's gone, yeah. and so you put in Jonathan Osorio, you put in uh, Vasquez, Victor Vasquez. Um, I think they can make up for those absences, and they do get the guys back on their home leg and the second leg. I've got Toronto winning 5-2 to two on aggregate because Toronto is just that good. I also believe in narrative, uh, David do. Martin. I believe in narrative. I really really, I'm just going to fucking barrel forth believe on my narrative. It, yeah. yeah, Believe in narrative. You're going to predict 9 to nothing wins during the regular season and stuff. Just whatever. whatever. Sometimes you get closer than you think. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so Houston and Seattle, aggregate, whom do you have? Uh, as much as I would really love for Houston to beat Seattle, I think Houston probably scores three tonight, and I think they uh, end up losing five to three. And I think Seattle scores probably one, if not two, tonight, and a lot more at, back at home at Houston. And I don't, sure. or back in Seattle, I don't think Seattle, Houston scores in Seattle. Well, th- this is my upset pick. I've got Houston winning three to two, aggregate. <laughs> so we have opposite picks. <laughs> this is going to be great. This All right, is a, this is going to be fun to watch. That's right. I mean, I really would love to see Houston sure. win, uh, but I just I think Seattle's got too much. Just like you said, Toronto is too deep and has too much. Houston is so thin. They get if anybody like any of their attacking midfielders are injured, you know, for any part of the games they're out. And I, you know, I just think it's that's so. All right. Well, fine. Let's fucking party. Fine, you asshole. All right, so uh, you heard it here. Those are the correct predictions. Well, they can't be correct because we predicted <laughs> we all the fucking different things. Um, I do but one. one thing we can correctly predict is the Champions League results of this afternoon. Yes, we Gee, can. It just, it, it remi- I'm reminded, by the way, that people are going to listen to our MLS calls, and they're going to watch the games tonight before they listen to this, and they're going to be like, these guys were fucking not even close. We're going to be embarrassments. The whole soccer media establishment is going to be looking at us and fucking laughing. Yep. Anyway, I'm just pointing that out. Uh, let's talk Europe. So the first game that I pulled out was uh, Liverpool scored three goals and Sevilla also scored three goals. It was a tie game. Close one. Any thoughts on the Liverpool-Sevilla 3-3 three to three match? Uh, we're keeping this short, right? So I don't have like 15 minutes to, to rant about... You have 52 seconds. Okay. So I was watching this game. Uh, and this game was not actually on TV. It was on Facebook Live because Champions League did this thing where they give like one game, a, a popular game, uh, every thank you, every week of match days to fucking Facebook, Facebook Live. So like you're in a bar, a bar that normally shows soccer. They literally cannot get your game because it's on fucking Facebook. So I watched this game on Facebook. First half. And everybody knows that we're both Liverpool fans. Uh, they do. First half was amazing. Three goals, 
all amazing goals, like just really great run of play. Uh, we were just bossing the entire the entire uh, the entire field. There was a couple of like Sevilla chances that were like, oh, all right. And Lawrence Carries was in goals. So you're like, all right. And like a couple of uh, of frames that they hit. But you're like, all right, three nothing. We got this, right? We win this game. We're top of the group into into the knockout round as the best team in the group. Cool. Um, I was watching it with our friend Notch, Notch Kid, who uh, had to go back to work. So he left, right? And I'm watching it on Facebook live on my computer in a Buffalo Wild Wings in St. Paul. All of a so sudden... Notch left when he thought the result was out of question? Notch left because he had to go back to work. I, had the, I, t- okay. I, I, take, I take soccer uh, soccer days off because I'm a you know responsible soccer fan, right? <clears throat> I'm not going to get drunk and go back to work. I gotta, I'm just going to get drunk. <clears throat> And so I, uh, game second half kicks off. The Facebook live feed isn't working. It's just, it's not working. It's like skipping, like buffering, all that. All of a sudden I get a text on my phone. Oh, Sevilla just scored. Oh, that's, that sucks. All right, three to one. All right, we're fine. Uh, about eight minutes later, I get another text. Oh, penalty awarded. Didn't say who. And there was like, Penalty scored, Sevilla. Like literally, like ten seconds later, uh, penalty disallowed. <laughs> ten seconds later, penalty scored. So they disallowed the penalty, sco- that goal that was scored, and then he kicked it back into the net. Three two, Sevilla. All right, I was like, okay, shit. I've at this point, so about I was just kept keeping an eye on my phone. It's like eighty, and I was, had the I still had the Facebook thing going, but I was like, fine, fuck it. I was like, I shut it down at like sixty. Like 68, 70 minutes or whatever. So I was just keeping an eye on my phone, watching. And there, there was three other games that were on TV at the Buffalo Wild Wings. So I was watching Real Madrid beat the shit out of Apoel and uh, watching uh, uh, Tottenham destroy Dortmund uh, and basically like ruining Peter Boss and hopefully he gets fired and all that fun stuff. And I'm watching the Go Live app on my phone and it's 90 minutes, 91 minutes, 92 minutes. I turned to the guy. So there's a guy sitting a couple do- a couple seats down the row who's a big Liverpool fan. We watched the matches at Buffalo Wild Wings together. And um, he's like, how's it going? And I was like, oh, you know, it's still 3-2. He's like, okay. I turn my phone over, turn my phone on, and I see goal, 93rd minute, Sevilla, make it 3-3. That's it. That's I, I have no commentary th- on that. I just that's I I'm just ex- explaining to you what happened to me this afternoon. Let me ask you a follow-up question. Do you believe that there's a god? Clearly. And he's clearly uh, meant to cause me as much pain and heartbreak and sorrow as, as humanly possible. It's working. Yeah. I mean, Excellent. clearly there's a god and clearly he <laughs> hates me. Like me specifically, or like Liverpool fans specifically, but like definitely me specifically. Because whatever, literally, David Martin, literally, Notch leaves. I'm gonna blame it on Notch, honestly, because Notch left. The Facebook feed stopped working, and Liverpool just apparently looked like shit for the entire second half of the game. Like we're not attacking. Even like the like little spotty, like when you like you know when the video is like like buffering, but like it goes for like. 10 seconds and it 
Like, right. Literally everything Even in was, those little moments, you could tell they saw Everything was in the Liverpool half. Sevilla was attacking on the front foot. I just don't I don't under I don't understand. I don't know. Without seeing the actual match, I don't want to like cast any more aspersions. But <clears throat> we had our friend Colin Solberg, friend in quotes. Yeah. Uh jumps on that thing right away and anyways. Good fucking god. All right. Um, so LFC misses out on the chance to win the group, so they're gonna have. Well, to they they haven't missed out completely. They're no, still they missed out on this particular. Chance just, to yes, win yeah. The group, yes. So they're they're still top of the group. They're still on nine points. It's it's gonna take a. <laughs> I can't believe I'm gonna say this. It's gonna take a fucking miracle for them. You mean from that god that <laughs> hates you? <laughs> that hates me. Yeah. To to not at least qualify for the knockout round. Um, so they're on nine points. Sevilla's on eight points. Uh, the team in third place, Spartak Moscow, is on six points. They and they just drew with Maribor at home. Maribor they're, being the team that we beat. They're out now. Cumulatively, Maribor's like out, so. eight to eight to one or whatever. Right. Um, they drew with them one one at home. So we should beat Moscow at Anfield uh, next match day, which is in a couple weeks. But it's not a foregone conclusion. <laughs> so. You know, let's, uh, yeah, we're not going to count our chickens before they are, uh, you know, actually hatched. If they win that game, if they, if they win that game, they win the group. If they tie that game, they're through to the knockout round. If, even if they lose that game, they are probably through out. to the knockout round. But still, like, when Man City secured their group today, Tottenham's already was already knocked out and they secured their group today. Like, it's a little disappointing. We could have also secured a group today. No, nope, we don't get to so, join the party. Yeah, anyways. Sounds about right. Let's not talk uh, about. Spe- speaking of whom, uh, Spurs beat Dortmund two to one. You already kind of mentioned that. I I love BVB. I really do. But man, they started the year hot as hell, and now they just look like a drooping, dripping sort of infected penis. Um, <coughs> yeah, <coughs> they scored. Know. They scored a really great goal to start the game, and uh, it's like okay, maybe they maybe they got this. Uh, man, Peter Boss has got to go. Apparently, that's yes. My ultimate conclusion there. So, uh, of of note to fans here, Christian Pulisic uh, did not find the 18 today. So, um, he was out with a with that muscle injury that he had from the weekend. So, yep. yeah, yep, muscle injury. He pulled his muscle, his his gigantic throbbing muscle. Yeah. Uh, Madrid, as you already mentioned, beat Apoel six to nothing. I don't have much to say. What did you expect from this? Uh, that w- the game was a that game was on the big screen with with the sound. It was devastating. Yeah. Real Madrid that, wins the group. There you go. Literally could give two shits about Real Madrid. But I was like, oh, really? You're just piling out against Apoel? Right. Same Apoel team that Dortmund couldn't beat back-to-back. Dortmund, come on. <laughs> Holy so, God. FYI. So it's, uh, uh, Man City played, uh, I, I never pronounced this correctly. Feyenoord. 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 Yeah, it was pretty close. Yeah. Uh, uh, one to nothing today. So um, Raheem Sterling, LFC fans, fucking rejoice, right? Um, yeah, again they win the group. Um, yep. City wins good the for group. them. Yeah, good for How'd them. Scotty feel? I don't know. I didn't touch Scotty. Didn't I'm sure my wife is happy. I'm sure she probably doesn't even under like know what the result is at this point in time. Shoot. Oh. Yeah, because she's such a hard worker. <coughs> yeah. Okay, great. Oh. Well, good. Uh, glad for your wife. I'll yeah. be talking to her later. Yeah, she's uh, a. Yeah, she's the one who wins the wins the bread in the house. So the bread. What do you win in these days? Nothing. The Literally fucking, nothing. The fucking scorn. 
I fix things in the, in the house that we that's own. That's true. That's so true. That's, that's my lot in life. There you go. Fixing things in the house that we own because I work for a fucking nonprofit. So You're a man. <laughs> uh, Napoli uh, won 3 nothing over Shakhtar. They needed that because they are not good <laughs> in Champions League. <laughs> no, but they're still alive. So, yeah, uh, they Nap- are. Napoli three points back with one match day left to go. Uh, win, obviously, and it could happen for Napoli. Could. I think they play Feyenoord, so yep. you never know. Good luck to them. Uh, Besiktas. They clinched the group. one with Porto. Yeah, and so they, they clinched the group with that with that draw. So Pretty pretty cool. I, th- I think, was that the first time they've ever made the uh, knockout? Or the first time in like 50 years or something? It's thing? been a while, probably. It's been <clears> at least <throat> a yeah. while, yeah, if ever. So, um, so awesome to them. Uh, Leipzig and Porto are slugging it out for the rest of it in that group. Um, Did you, so do you have the Leipzig score? What it ended up being? There? Four to one. Oh, it ended up being four to one. It was four to one at the half. At the was half. Okay. Oh, yep, it was a fucking one. bonkers game in the first half. Yeah. Um, yeah. They must have had a Red Bull before the game. <laughs> they, yeah. In Monaco, by the way. So, a Red I mean, Bull in Monaco. The nice thing about Monaco, if you are a visiting team, is that Monaco's ultras are people uh, who are like vice presidents of banks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> They're not necessarily the uh, hardcorest of supporters. No. So are you say are you saying that such a person can't be a hardcore supporter? Um, let's say VPs of banks who uh, who are making uh, seven to eight figures. They're taking home seven to eight figures. Uh, so yes, I love that you corrected from making to taking home. Yeah. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> You're not right. making that much or taking oh, home come that on, much. Come on, it depends on how many <laughs> decimal points you want to count there. <laughs> Um, so yes, so yeah, I I, so I want to clarify because, you know, I don't want to disparage, disparage you at all, uh, my my yeah. friend. But yeah, Monaco's Monaco's hardcore supporters are like people who like fucking Grand Prix right, right. and uh, wine and cheese plates and like charcuterie, which is what I fucking <laughs> ordered tonight. God, <laughs> this is the evidence is stacking up against me here. Um, let's stop talking about that. There's not too much United news to talk about. Nope. Uh, a couple of things I'll quickly point out is that um, uh, United should announce their roster cuts any day now. They have until the 27th of November to do that. They haven't yet. It's almost that date. So I've I've deduced with my fucking VP logic that they should announce it sometime soon. Sometime in the next six days. That's my math. Um, uh, additionally, and this is this isn't news. It's Twitter, and sometimes we confuse the two. But uh, Jeff Reuter suggested on Twitter that um, he's getting a sense that if Minnesota gets a DP, it's not going to be at a number ten position. It's going to be like a number six or a number eight. Uh, I don't know what he's basing that on. Could be just speculation here. But um, I'm going to be controversial right now. I kind of think that's fine. I'm okay. okay with that. I think number sixes can win you trophies. I think number six is the most important role on the field. To me, that indicates that there's a a theoretical change in tactics because, because every everything that Heath everything that Heath has done has has sort of uh, gravitated around a, a number ten, right? Like he keeps you can't plugging play a four, people two, three, one without a good ten. He plug he's plugging people into a number ten role who are not suited for a number ten role, so. That seems to me that either someone got to Heath and was like, four listen, one, four listen, one. motherfucker, here are pictures of you fucking other people's wives, and you're going to play this way. A 4141? A 4141. Could it be? <laughs> or something on, where, whereas, or, or where, you know, maybe Amos and Manny were like, listen, we're not 
gonna get. We're not gonna get the the player that you want in that number ten role. And Kevin Molino is not a number ten. So that would be amazing if somebody literally just had. That I really, I God, I really hope so. Um, I sincerely doubt that they did, but I really hope that they did. And uh, so that's, I mean, that if that's the case, it seems to me that that indication is that someone has, yeah, talked some sense into Heath. Heath in? Yeah. No. Heath-in? God, no. Absolutely yeah. not. Heath in forever? Caleb Porter in? That's the other thing. What can can we talk briefly about that? What the fuck we, happened? We, we could, but yeah. l- let's be honest. Like, yeah. in we my opinion, we don't have time. In my opinion, Caleb Porter doesn't leave unless he's got somewhere to go. He's not running away. He's running to something. You know, I I think he's got. I don't necessarily agree up. with that statement. You think he just got shit canned? No, no, I don't. I don't think he got. I think he has ideas. I don't think he's necessarily has someone somewhere he's running right now. I don't think it wouldn't surprise me if if Caleb Porter's not managing at any division next year. Like, he's not going down to Cincinnati. All you fucking FC Cincinnati kids can just put that out of your fucking mind. Um, he's not taking the U.S. men's national team job until he knows who the president and the technical director of, of U.S. men's that's, national that's team fair, is. Yeah. But... MNUFC? It seems like Caleb Porter probably has a general idea of where he wants to go and where he wants to do that at. So... In, which wouldn't surprise me if he, if he wants to hold off for a year. So. Right. There's nothing else to talk about with nope. Caleb Porter. It's, What's, it's can all we Can we jump into your interview with uh, R.J. Allen? Let's do that. All okay. right. So this has been good. Um, we're going to cut now to an interview I did with R.J. Allen. Uh, R.J. is from Backline Soccer, a founder and editor-in-chief. Had an awesome sit-down with her. Uh, I hope she comes back. If you love women's soccer, you should listen to this. And if you don't love women's soccer, it's probably because you haven't listened to the interview. And you should definitely to listen to this. To. Yes, like, so. please listen to this. Like, awesome. watch women's soccer. It's some of the best in the world, honestly, Absolutely. in this Absolutely. country. So, it's a ton of fun. So, uh, enjoy, uh, and we'll come back right after that. So on the Dave's I Know podcast, uh, one of the things that most of our listeners know we don't like to do is interview people, uh, mostly the content, the wisdom, uh, the magic, if you will, comes from David and myself, David, um, but we're allowing one exception uh, only because we don't have anything else to talk about, and so we've deigned to allow a person on our podcast, but we found a good one, and uh, we're excited about it. So uh, on the podcast today, we have R.J. Allen. Am I pronouncing that correctly? You are pronouncing <laughs> that correctly. It's like the fucking simplest name to pronounce. I was just kidding. Um, uh, she is the editor-in-chief and founder of Backline Soccer. Backline Soccer is a, uh, a women's soccer uh, website. It covers all kinds of things, both sides of the pond, national and club level. Um, we are a podcast usually dedicated toward um, club level MLS stuff. People who listen for a long time know that I've got a flame for women's soccer, too. It's about time we start talking about it as well. So, RJ, we're super excited to have you on. Glad you can make some time for us. I am doing three podcasts today, and this is the first one. So hopefully I don't shoot all of my my podcasting acumen today in this podcast and have nothing left for the, for the next two. No, nothing, nothing that happens here is going to drain you of anything. Um, you're, you're probably going to just, you can just use this to kind of hone the axe, and then when you get to the real podcasts, then you'll be all sharpened. Well, this is the only one I don't have to either host or co-host, so it's sort of refreshing to be on the other side of the table and be more the interview subject than having to, to be the interviewer. Well, well, we'll see if that's true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking grill you today, so I hope you're ready for it. 
Alright, so um, let's 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 talk about the stuff that we're going to talk about, alright? So um, you are the chief editor and, and the founder for Backline Soccer, as we indicated. So tell me a little bit, background, how did that website come to be? What went into it? Uh, you know, did, did you go into this alone and found some writers, or were there some other folks that came into it with you as a group? And, and finally, what did you hope to accomplish when you started it? So I wasn't somebody who watched the, the 99 World Cup. I know that's a lot of people in, in soccer sort of started there and moved forward. I started watching in 2004 at the Olympics. Heather O'Reilly's goal to beat Germany was the moment I became a soccer fan. So fast forward 11 years, I follow the team a little bit, but I wasn't super into it. On the eve of the 2015 World Cup, I'm like, I really like this team and I want to put more into it. I'm a huge sports fan. Red Sox and Packers are my, my two sort of outside of women's soccer sports teams. So I've always been a big fan. So as the World Cup was happening, I sort of realized I want to do more in soccer. I started podcasting. I started doing a little bit of writing. Um, and that's when I started writing for Once a Metro, which covers Sky Blue and the Red Bulls of the MLS, or sorry, MLS, not the MLS. I get hate for that all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, this podcast is now going to be deleted, by the way. It's good to know. Uh, so I started writing for them. I liked it, but I wanted to do more. I started writing for a site called Midfield Press, which primarily covers second division men's soccer. Um, and I sort of worked my way up because I kept asking, so who do I report to? And they said, well, do you want the job? So I said, sure. Uh, like an idiot, I kept taking on more responsibility. Big mistake, <laughs> never take on responsibility. Um, no, never. And then about halfway through last season, the other women soccer writers and I were like, you know what, why don't we do this ourselves? Why don't we sort of strike out and do a site that is devoted to women's soccer the way we want to do it? So Midfield Press was sort of that kicking off point where there was a, a fairly large group of us who sort of were like, we're gonna do this. And because I was the one with the computer and when the $12 to, to buy the package to have a website, I'm, I was sort of the one that was uh, deemed to be the one to make the site. And I was the managing editor at Midfield Press, so I became the editor in chief of Backline. And from there, we've sort of just gone and it's been over a year now and we haven't sort of been kicked off the internet yet we haven't been voted off the island as it were um and we just passed two hundred and fifty thousand hits on the site which is a number i am very proud of right now that's really cool that's uh, uh exponentially greater than what uh my website pulls but we you know we don't we don't do too much over there you guys are you guys are the real article um, I actually uh, started writing for Midfield Press as well. Uh, I was one of the, I guess you'd call it, charter writers for the website uh, in its first year when it covered exclusively NASL. I had to step away from that. I had some uh, kids and needed to, you know, fucking take care of them. Um, but that, you know, after that first year, it started to pivot toward a broader coverage, had more second tier stuff. It included women's soccer. So I think we just kind of missed each other uh, on that boat. But now we we jumped onto other boats. We're our, we're our own captains now. Right. Yeah, it's nice. It is very nice when you're on a site that is only one thing like we only cover women's soccer. And we primarily cover American women's soccer. We do dabble in other things. We have some English. We have um, my social, one of my social media person is Australian and she's from Perth where Sam Kerr plays right now for in yeah. the W League. So we have a little bit of flavor from other places, but 
sort of our passion is this American soccer project on the women's side, so we can devote all of our energy there. We don't sort of have to worry about, well, what are the men doing? What is this division doing? What is, it, it, it makes it a lot narrower of a focus, which I think helps us sort of hone that a little bit. You, know, you talked about the American soccer project, and I know as somebody who's a soccer uh, goer or whatever you want to call me, um, I, I sometimes get like exhausted with the like inevitable project conversation, you know, like I'm, I'm much personally, I'm much more interested in talking about tactics and people and stuff like that. And inevitably, though, whenever you talk to somebody, especially outside of the bubble, it turns back toward, um, uh, you know, like, well, how how do you make side? How many people show up to the game, and how are you going to make it last? And you know, does anybody care about side? Well, what are your thoughts on the project? Do you ever get tired of talking about it, or do you do you mostly avoid talking about it, and you just want to dive into the games, or? I think it's hard because in women's soccer, you have to talk about it in the way that you don't in men's soccer as much, like. MLS is an established thing to the point where it's not going to go away. Like, there's nothing that can really happen so in five years there is no MLS anymore. Like, that, so whatever happened would have to be, like, there's a nuclear war with North Korea. Like, Donald Trump would have to press the big red button. That's about the only way that we're not going to have MLS anymore, right? With the NWSL, this is the third league the women have had. This is the third time we've had to try this in... 15-ish years, 20-ish years. So we're, we have to talk about the project more because it's a lot newer and because it's a lot more of us figuring out what actually works and what doesn't work. So we're sort of beholden to talk about it in a way that MLS doesn't really need to talk about. Yeah, when there's expansion and when there's talk about who we who should come in under the umbrella and who should not be and there's the lawsuits, yeah, you sort of have to talk about it a little bit. Women's soccer, it's probably as equally talking about tactics as it is the project because we don't have sort of that 20-year history, that 30-year history, and people just dumping stupid stupid amounts of money into it because it's a different beast. So we have to talk about the project, but I also, I do enjoy talking about sort of how do you build this thing and make it last? How does this thing survive my lifetime or your lifetime or even your kid's lifetime to be something where people really enjoy it generation after generation, like something like the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Packers or nobody likes the Jets, but I assume that there's some bitter Jets fan in in the outskirts of Jersey that is a diehard Jets fan. Um, But how do you make it that generational thing versus just the thing that will survive a decade without completely collapsing? That's true. Well said. And, uh, you know, it's... um uh, I take for granted, I think, maybe um, that the men's game is in a, a much more secure position. You know, we like to talk about it not being, but the, the conversations we're having are about what are the best teams to bring in with expansion? How do we get better TV deals and more exposure? But survivability, unless you're talking about the lower tier leagues, which is always a f- fucking issue still. But um, we, uh, you know, we're not having the same conversation anymore, and uh, it's easy to take that for granted. Yeah. So, so when you're thinking about the project, do you prefer personally the club game or the international game and why? I sort of get two different things out of it. When, when I was thinking about this, I like watching club soccer because it's weekly. Like, there is no competition in international soccer that's more than a couple of months. Like, the World Cup and the Olympics are the two giant things, and they're, what, five weeks and three weeks usually so that's that's a very very narrow window and yeah i give a ton of attention when the world cup and olympics are on but i like the fact that 
Sky Blue went to Portland and beat Portland 3-1. to one. Like, there is not going to be a situation where, like, Portugal beats the U.S. 3-1. to one. Like, that's just not really going to happen. So I do like the fact that there is parity in the league to a point where I don't know what's going to happen in every game every week. Yeah, is Seattle probably going to beat Houston because they have 10 out of 10 times? Yes, but that time that Houston finally beats Seattle, that's going to be a giant feeling in a way that, yeah, if a, a sort of that second tier of national teams, like if Scotland upset England, like that would be a really big deal, but it probably wouldn't change that much in international soccer where three points to Houston might determine if they're, you know, middle of the table or top of the table or, or where they fall in. Yeah. So sort of get different things out of them. If I had to, if I could only cover one, I would cover club soccer, but I really do enjoy sort of that international, like, you have five weeks, and this is all you're going to be thinking about for five weeks. I, I enjoy that, too. I, I'm, I'm the same way, but I'll, I'll take it even further. I, I pretty much don't care at all about the international game. I um, I try, you know, and, and I've only got I've got a finite amount of time, too. You know, there's a thousand leagues in the world, and now i got to, you know, look at club soccer and international, too. But I don't know. I, I, international soccer, it's, it's too infrequent. Usually the stakes are too low, especially for the U.S., even in tournaments. Like, you know, does anybody is anybody really passionate about, you know, the U.S. men's team winning the Gold Cup? You know, for instance, you know, that doesn't matter to me. But the, the more truly international ones, yeah, I'll, I'll turn out for it, and that's fine. But I don't, I don't care. The club game is local, and it's constant, and there's stakes at all times. That's not 90% friendlies, and uh, that's cool to me, so... And I, I think this is, I think, again, this goes back to the men's versus women's side, right? Like, the women are, as much as we complain about the women's national team, they're the best in the world. There is no oh, yeah. team that can do what the national team does, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, of when U.S. plays Canada, Canada is the fifth-ranked team in the world, right? There are They are in the top five in the international game, right? The U.S. trounced them in the second game because no team in the entire world can play that second game as high intensity as the first as the U.S. can. Like, the U.S. can probably get 90% there in the second game. Most other teams, if they're playing a back-to-back series, can maybe get 80% of the intensity, 75% of that intensity. Dawn Scott is worth her weight in gold. She's the U.S. like training and fitness coach. She's the one that makes sure Alex Morgan can track that ball 97 minutes into the second game when she's had two and a half days of rest and has been on a plane for six hours. Like, she's the one that makes sure that happens. And, I'm, you know, there are other people involved, but she's sort of that head of the head of the snake that can do that. There's nobody else in the world that can do that. So I think for, for the women's side, I do enjoy watching them play France and Germany because I enjoy seeing if they can adapt and see if they can you know, play in different ways. And I, I still like watching the international game. But yeah, if I was a fan of the men's side, there are so many tournaments and there are so many, oh, well, they won this little, like, tiny cup, but they can go now to this medium-sized cup. And maybe if they get the medium-sized <laughs> cup, they can go to the big – like, on the women's side, we have the Olympics, World Cup, CONCACAF, and whichever tournaments the U.S. decides to host. And that's it. So it's a lot less sort of, well, they've played 17 cups this year, so why should I care about the 18th? The women, we might have five tournaments in a seven-year cycle. So right, it right. make or in a four year cycle, it makes it a little different. Yeah, that's a fair point. I really want to call, start calling them the tiny cup too. I just imagine how many 
how many U.S. men's soccer penises would go perfectly flaccid if we started calling it the tiny cup. I don't know. Let's go for that. So let's let's stick with that topic, okay? So so you talked about Canada. U.S. women's national team closed 2017 with, as you put it, back-to-back series against Canada, home and away. Uh, that first game was a one-to-one draw where the U.S. was probably the second-best team on the field. And then you already mentioned that second game, a three-to-one win, a lot more convincing. So what did we learn from those two games as we're looking forward to 2018 and what comes next? next i think we learned that one we learned what i just said is u.s can play back to back better than any team in the world and i think that's why they've had this success on the international level they've had in world cup and olympics because outside of 2016 the u.s has meddled in every single international competition on a world cup or olympic level that is an incredible feat and that's because they have the best training and best fitness in the world Um, So I think that's something that is important to note, that they still have that. And as much as it is annoying, the fact that they win games because in the 75th minute they're still as fit as they are in the fifth, you know, that's why they do win some games Mm -hmm. and not tactics. I think it's still important to note that they have that advantage. And that is an advantage that eventually is going to go away, but it's been 35 plus years and it hasn't yet. So that is something to note. I also think, and this might get me a little flack, But there is not a single problem you can point out on the U.S. women's national team. On the senior level, I'm not talking the youth levels, the senior level, that is not a champagne problem. Do we play Alex Morgan or do we play Kristen Press? Oh my, every other team in the world would kill to have one of them. We have Kristen Press, Alex Morgan, Lynn Williams. You can have all three of them on the field at the same time. Now, do I think that Ellis is playing them in the best position for them? No. But is that fundamentally a champagne problem of do you have Alex Morgan in the center or do you have Kristen Press in the center? Like that is the fundamental problems that we're facing on the national team level. And they are all sort of these like first world U.S. women's national team problems. Do we play the defender of the year from the NWSL? Do we play the runner up? defender of the year for the NWSL and who do we pair it against the three-time defender of the year in the NWSL like these problems are insane to every other country in the world does it does this because do there become a risk of like complacency then too like you you, tactics don't need to be as sharp and and uh even I mean I guess I fit these are professional athletes they get after it but you know that that you can lose some of that competitive edge thinking that you've got only champagne problems to deal with I think that There's a problem with how we're covering the national team right now in terms of everything is, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, all the time. It's, what do we do about Alex Morgan and Chris and Press? There can only be one. You know, what do we do about the back line? It's horrible. Every other country, if you gave them that back line with a listener, Ashlyn Harris, A.D. French, or Jane Campbell, they would give you their best striker and like, just praise you. Like, it's so crazy to me that yes do i think that let me let me back up a little bit i think there are problems and i think there are problems that need to address but i think that we have to sort of take a step back and realize that we're still at our worst we're the third best team in the entire world at our very worst Mm -hmm. we're the third best team so yes do i think there needs to be things that need to be addressed absolutely but i think 
media and fans should take that half a breath that allows them to think more critically and less in that crisis mode of this is all going to come unraveling and we're going to end up as the 10th team in the world and we're going to lose every competition from now until 2023. I think we can take a half a breath on it and sort of have that moment to be like, okay, we need to figure out what to do with Alex Morgan and Krista Press, but it's not the end of the world if Press isn't played in her best position and Alex Morgan is played centrally instead. Like, does it suck a little bit for Press that she's not played in her best position? Yeah. Is it might not be as successful as it would be if it was flipped? Yes. But it'll be okay. Like it's it I think there's because the US women are the top team in the world, there's that they don't have sort of the fundamental problems that a Scotland or that an England or that a France sort of has to deal with. Mm-hmm. So we fu- we look for problems and we look for problems that would probably be a three or a four if this was a club team that are now a seven or eight because we don't have anything else to sort of discuss. <laughs> to talk about, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it's all we're on, we're on this bubble and we're kind of from the outside looking in, and we need something to talk about, some way to appropriate our feelings about it, and uh, so we we glare at minor issues, maybe. Yeah. So when the so when the World Cup rolls around in 2019, who are going to be the women that say we're talking about, and even casual folks are talking about the same way that casuals learn maybe who Morgan Bryan was in 2015. Who are going to be, I wouldn't even call them up-and-comers, but who are the casuals going to fall in love with in 2019? I think that there's sort of, there's a couple ways to answer this question. You sort of have those players that are stalwarts on the team that are sort of going to take that step forward. I think Kelly O'Hara is going to be an incredibly important part of that back line because her and Becky Sauerbrunn are the two senior people on the defense right now. Everybody knows who Becky Sauerbrunn is, and if you don't, you haven't watched a single U.S. game. Uh, So she is somebody everybody knows. So I don't think it's going to be her because I think her level is going to stay flat or it's going to dip a little bit. But when you're Becky Sauerbrunn, you can dip a little bit and you're still the best defender in the world. Um, So I I don't think it's going to be her because I think she's already got that. I think it's going to be O'Hara if you're going to count a veteran who sort of takes that step forward. O'Hara has been incredibly seasoned. She was the starter in 2012. She was that role player in 2015. And now she seems to be the the player Jill Ellis is relying on to do everything on that back line and sort of fill some holes. Um, So I think it could be her if you're looking for a player to step up that's already, already made her mark on the team. And then I think it's the... Um, Andy Sullivan's, the Lindsey Horan's, the Sam Mewis's, the Mal Pugh's. I think that sort of four-pack of players, maybe a Rose Lavelle if she can get healthy and stay healthy. I think if you look at that five-pack of players, you could sort of take your pick. Like, they're all similar, and they all sort of play middle of the park. Pugh's more probably the most attacking out of all of them. Um, I think it's going to be one of those, but the problem is we're 18 months out. One or two of them could miss the roster one or two could tear an ACL in January and be out for for the games so if they're all healthy I say that Mewis is probably the best player in that group but she's also not the super attack she's the Shannon Box in, in sort of terms of yeah she'll score 25 or 30 goals over her career maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. but she's not she's going to be vital to the team's success but she's not going to be that superstar I think it'll probably be Andy Sullivan or Mallory Pugh but 
it, I don't know what the team's going to look like. I don't know if Carly Lloyd's still going to be out there sort of trying to start and having the roster shifted around her to make it all work. Sure. Or if Carly Lloyd's going to be on the bench. And then you can have the more functioning midfield. So I would probably give those five names, six if you count O'Hara sort of stepping up from, from the team already. I, those would be the six that I would really keep an eye on and probably Sam Mewis as just sort of that excellent, excellent midfielder. Awesome. Um, and I hope that happens because I, I think that only happens if they win, right? You know, otherwise the casuals don't really care. I don't know. Um, so do you ever find it? Do you ever find it like you're inside the soccer bubble? You know, which which I always talk about and think about, and I have no idea what casual people know or think or who they've heard of or what you know what the any of that stuff. It's hard because so like. I, I want to say this in the most articulate way possible, and I will probably stick my foot in my mouth on nah, this you're, one. You're trying if, too if, hard then. Yeah, if, if any question, this is the one I'm going to stick my foot in my mouth. I think it's hard because there are most fans of women's soccer are not casual fans in the way that I'm a casual fan of the NFL. Like, sure. I don't have to try to follow the NFL. The NFL just sort of finds me. Like, I get alerts on my phone that I don't even remember signing up for for the Packers. They're just there. And, you know, when Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone, like, it was covered everywhere, and I didn't have to try to find the information. The information found me. You don't do that in women's soccer, right? Like, if the teams get on ESPN or if, you know, a Sam Kerr goal gets on the top ten plays of the week, like, that's great. But you have to try to find women's soccer a little bit. So you have to sort of put that initial effort in before you can even really engage with it. Not In a way, I don't have to do with other sports. So I think that the casual fans for women's soccer are probably a little bit more in-depth just because they have to be to find the thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. Do I always believe that they're... Do I always know what they want or what they know? No, I tend to be one of those people that are like, yeah, you need to not just be a fan of Alex Morgan. You need to know like who the fifth and sixth like forward on the depth chart is. And do I sometimes get a little bit in the weeds? Yes, but I think it's it's hard because I watch probably more soccer than anybody I know when it comes to US soccer because I have to. And Mm -hmm. that's something that people don't think of. Like, I watch so much soccer that for me saying, oh, yeah, this player on, you know, an FC Casey, I probably shouldn't use that as an example. Um, You know, this player, this player on the Seattle Reign, like, is a really great talent. And they're like, who? Like, I've never heard of this, this player before. And then you sort of like, okay, I have to, I have to back up five steps and explain how I've gotten there. And I have to explain how I've gotten there probably less in soccer, in women's soccer, than I, when, than I would in other sports. But I, 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 I'm one of those media elites, man. I just – sometimes I put my foot in my mouth because I just I, – I know a lot. And, God, that sounds, that sounds so bad. But Yeah, it's really do, pretentious. Like, it is, but it's one of those <laughs> things where – if you watch a no, God, I'm I'm killing this answer. I am absolutely killing this answer. Um, I don't, I don't even. What was the question? 
<laughs> no, no, I, I think you said it. No, I, I, ju- I just asked, uh, you know, do you ever feel like uh, being inside the soccer bubble, you lose sight of what's, what people know or think outside of the soccer bubble? I, I think you've answered it, and I don't think you came off looking like an asshole. It's okay. Okay, then, then, I'll, then I'll count my answer. I will say, I think it is getting a little easier to be a casual fan, but we're not to the point where you can just be a casual fan of women's soccer and not know anything the way you can be a casual fan of, like, baseball and not know anything. Certainly. That makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, everything else is ubiquitous, right? You yeah. still got to try uh, uh, with soccer in general and women's soccer specifically. Um, I, I want to talk about, before we pivot and talk about the club game a little bit, I want to pivot and talk about um, question related to uh, a lot of turmoil, well, we'll call it turmoil, the USSF right now. Uh, a lot of people talking on the Twitters and the, uh, you know, the other, I don't remember all the social media, I forget them, um, talking about uh, uh, a lot of issues right now, including the presidency. So I'm going to ask you, what are your thoughts when you see, first of all, no female candidates for the presidency, and second, you see basically no discussion of women's soccer among the platforms of those who have put their hat in the ring for the presidency? I think there's a couple issues here. I think one of the candidates has said it of it's an unpaid position, which is going to drive away a lot of people who would be really good for it. And I think that is something that has to change. Like, it's not a volunteer position anymore in the way of like, oh, I can do this two hours a night and it's not a huge deal. Ten hours a week is nothing. Like, the U.S. soccer president has to go and do things and fly on planes and spend a vast amount of time. And if you're not independently wealthy or you don't have a job that allows that flexibility, then you can't run. It doesn't matter how good you would be at the job. You just fundamentally can't run. So I think that that needs to change and you will get more women you will get more people who are better qualified who just don't have the funds to be like okay I'm going to work for four years or whatever without any pay Um, so I think that is something that needs to change and you will get better candidates I think that in regards to not having any women run I'm not surprised at this moment because a lot of the women in U.S. soccer are in jobs where being the president doesn't really give them a fundamental step up for what they want to do. Like April Heinrichs, who sort of oversees the technical side of the women, why would she want to go and have to also handle men's soccer and have to handle the politics and have to shake the hands and go to the meetings and and do all that stuff when she could just focus on her job and sort of handle the technical side of the women same thing with like a jill ellis or same thing with, with other people like that why would they want to sort of step out and sort of take control of the whole thing so i think a lot of the women in u.s soccer are sort of happy with the jobs they have and don't want to step up so that cuts out a large part of people who are qualified and then like here's the thing with players who are running for it I don't necessarily have confidence that they know how to be business people in the way that you have to be a business person yes do they understand the soccer better than the current administration absolutely like I don't think that's a question but understanding soccer is 30% of the job, maybe. Like, you're not the coach. You don't have to understand what a 4-2-3-1 is or whatever. Like, you have to understand how does X affect Y in a business sense that's either going to grow or contract the organization. Like, you have to understand that more than anything. And I think a lot of... Go on. No, go ahead. I think a lot of the people who are running don't actually want the job. They want it's sort of like the presidential race. A lot of people who ran for president don't actually want the job, right? They just want 
to push their agenda and push their perspective to try to shift the race one way or another to get the people who actually might have the job on record about certain things or get promises about certain things that are going to happen. Well, you know, so you mentioned, for instance, that, um, you know, a lot of people in good positions able to impact the things they want to impact instead, you know, I think you could say the same thing about the men. You ask the question, you know, who would want to be the person glad handing and stuff like that? And is it just that men like glad handing more or do they, are they in shittier jobs? You know, Kyle Martino is leaving a cherry job on NBC to try and do this. Apparently he wants to, you know, and, and, and um, is it more of a question of there are many, many fewer women who can be independently wealthy like you described, uh, uh, that they can walk away from it and be incomeless to chase what's basically a, a, a philosophy position, a position that they can enforce their own philosophy and stuff and they just don't have the wealth to do it? Someone told me when I was in college that if a woman has nine out of 10 of the qualifications for a job, she won't apply. And if a man has six out of the 10, he'll think he's overqualified and apply. Um, so it's one of those things where I, where I do think we're going to get into that conversation that women aren't applying for the job because they don't think they have the qualifications because historically they've been closed out of positions that would lead to the qualifications for the job. Like there isn't the CEO of soccer is a man. The vice president is a man. Most of the people on the board are men. And I think that those are a lot of positions that you might pull the president from. And those are positions that have the experience that you could go and be like, yes, I have helped do this, 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 and this. Versus Julie Foudy, who can say, well, I played soccer. I've done a bit of coaching. I commentate on the game and I know a lot about the game. Like, yeah, Julie Foudy would be interesting. I don't know if she would be effective, though. That's the problem, is there are a lot of people I would like to be, like, yes, I want to see what they would do, but I don't know how effective they would be because they can't sort of point to, this is what I have done, this is how I have done it, sort of. They can't point to any of that, and it makes it harder to pick who would actually be effective at rallying the troops and getting their point across and having that philosophy implemented. You could have the best philosophy in the world, but if you can't get any of your policies passed or taken in, taken seriously or put into place effectively, it doesn't matter how great your philosophy is. It just sort of becomes you, you're great at giving speeches, but you you can't actually get any of it done. So I do worry a little bit that sort of some of the men players, and, and I think Kyle is the best of the bunch, though his comments on women's soccer left me a little cold when he's like, men and women should make the exact same amount, but women are salaried. Let's not get into the nuances. Like that drove me crazy because we, and I think we're gonna get to the equal pay thing, but the, the structure for men and women is fundamentally different. Like that is not the same structure. The women are guaranteed things the men aren't because their clubs provide those things to them. So salary and healthcare and maternity leave and all of these things that the men are taking care of at club level, the women are taking care of at national team mm -hmm. level. You have to know that and you have to know how to eloquently state that position and also say that yes, meal pay and appearance fees and all of those little things should absolutely be equal across the board, but we have to take into account two different systems and two radically different systems and I have a huge problem saying, oh yes, this contract should be ripped up. The women worked very hard for the contract they mm -hmm. signed. You, sh To me, saying that you wanna rip up their hard work is a bigger slap in the face than a lot of things you could say. Sure, it's something well-intentioned, but probably um, 
it, you know, purposefully or otherwise, it, it sort of reveals that he's less familiar with it maybe than he thinks he is, uh, and that becomes clear. Absolutely. Well, I want to shift and I want to talk about NWSL, which is uh, a stronger passion of mine probably than um, the international level, right? So here's where I want to start. The NWSL championship sucked this year. Uh, it sh- it should have been great. Uh, clearly the two best teams in the league. Um, but during the game, it just devolved into thuggery. And that was compounded by poor refereeing that didn't really take control of the game. So um, I know it's been a few months now, but I'm, this is my first chance to talk about it. So what was, uh, what was your takeaway from that game? And uh, taking a step back, do you think a match like that dissuades those casuals I talked about who were maybe taking their first glance at women's soccer and this kind of big occasion, do you think it maybe turns them off, says maybe I don't want to tune in next year? So I was actually at the final. I was lucky enough to be able to fly down to Florida and I did all of the pomp and circumstance before I did the media day, talked to the players, did all that. It was fantastic. I will say Orlando put on a fantastic final from sort of that behind the scenes, like are people on time? Do people know where to go? The stadium, Orlando did a fantastic job. So I want to give them a shout out before I say everything else I'm going (laughs) to say. Um, Start on a positive note, right? Uh, So I think that there are a couple things that went into the final. One, I said it before that, I said it before the playoffs started that Orlando, I'm sorry, that if in Orlando we saw North Carolina versus Portland, it would be the worst matchup possible. North Carolina versus Orlando would be better. North Carolina versus Chicago would be better. Portland versus Orlando and Portland versus Chicago would both be better games. And I think all of those games would have been better than the game we got. Mm -hmm. Um, Because North Carolina and Portland both wanted to be that team that defended and then got one goal and one, which is what Portland was able to do. Um, So I think going in, I knew it wasn't going to be the best game in the world. I was hopeful it would be better than what we got. So... I will, my friend, uh, Charles Only, who writes for Backline, he does other things. He has this big kick that a yellow card is not a moral indictment against female players and refs need to hand them out more freely than they do. And in this game, I can only agree with that statement. I think if you yellow card Tobin Heath three minutes into the match for what is obviously a yellow card worthy foul, the game is completely different. I think because you said, okay, this is an acceptable level of physicality in this game, the game got out of hand immediately. When you have plays like that that are not given yellows, players feel emboldened to do that and more to see, well, if that doesn't get a yellow, this won't get a yellow. And if this doesn't get a yellow, then that other thing is like, it snowballs very, very quickly. And I think Portland, as soon as they saw that they weren't going to get a yellow three minutes in, they're like, all right, gloves are off now. And they went for it. And that becomes a super dangerous thing when you have players out there that are as strong and as fast and as powerful as like women's soccer players are built to withstand collisions. Mm -hmm. So when you have two of them come together, somebody is going to end up sore at best, broken at worst. And we saw that a couple times in this game. Also have to say Tobin Heath shouldn't have been starting this game. Tobin Heath shouldn't have been starting in the playoffs. Tobin Heath wasn't ready to be playing soccer in a way that she could control her own body and she could do tackles in a way that a informed Tobin Heath can tackle. And it's one of those things that 
if you haven't played in months and months and months like she didn't, and then all of a sudden you're in a game, those fine-tuned senses that you've developed over, you know, 15 years of playing soccer are a little bit off. Mm -hmm. And you could tell when she was tackling and when she was moving the ball, she was just a fraction of a percent off. Mm -hmm. And because she is so good and she is strong and she can make those challenges, when she made a challenge, she made a bad one on Taylor Smith and she ended up with, I think she broke something, she pulled something. I don't actually remember the injury. Um, but we saw what happened when she wasn't 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think playing Tobin Heath was a mistake because I think it was both dangerous for Tobin Heath and dangerous for every other player around her because Tobin wasn't ready to be out there. Sure. Um, and then I think it's I think it's just generally hard to predict what the final is going to be. Like, the year before, we got a game that was exciting for, like, 60 out of the 120 minutes, and then we had PKs. Like, does anybody remember that 60 minutes in the middle of that match that was just boring as hell? <laughs> no, because the beginning was so great and the end was so great. So the middle didn't matter, right? Like, those minutes where Crystal Dunn wasn't scoring goals and Lynn Williams wasn't scoring goals and neither goalkeeper had to do anything because the midfield couldn't get it together. Like, nobody remembers that. They remember, wow, Diana Matheson, Allie Krieger, and Tori Huster didn't make their PKs. In what world does that happen again? Like, that's what they remember. They remember D'Angelo having three saves. They remember all these amazing things. They don't remember the boring parts. In this game, you're not going to remember how Sam Mewis and... Uh, McCall Zerboni had these amazing plays, how Abby Dahlkemper and Abby Urseg were able to just move around the field effortlessly because you're going to remember Tobin Heath broke Taylor Smith. So I think it's super hard to predict games and how matchups are going to go, and it's super hard to predict the talking points that are going to come away from matches. So do I think this was a great game for people who have never seen women's soccer before? No. Do I think there's a ton that can be done about that? Not really. That is kind of the nature of finals too, right? You know, uh, it, they get played out so conservative, and, they, and that's largely true across most sports, uh, men's or women's, is that uh, it turns into a bit of a concern. Occasionally we get that great slugfest, you know, and then oftentimes, though, it turns into a really conservative, low-scoring type of thing. So this was this was no different, but, but boy, the, the physicality there, again, compounded by the fact. Yeah, so we, we had, what, two first-half injuries for North Carolina? It took them a while to catch up to the extremely physical play that was happening, but they did. They, you know, they stooped to the level, uh, and as you put it, the, you know, the referee let it happen. The referee set a precedent and it, uh, it continued to enforce that precedent and just got bad. Yeah, and I think it's it's hard because it's not really Portland's fault for playing the way they did. Like, I don't fault a team that if a ref's not going to call anything, you're completely in your right to act like idiots until they call something. Sure. Now, if you keep now if you keep fouling after they after they start calling it tight and get a ton of cards, well, then you're just stupid. But if the ref's going to let you play like that, and the ultimate goal is a championship, I don't fundamentally see a ton wrong with being a little more physical if the ref's gonna allow it the ref's gonna allow it like they're not playing to be miscongeniality they're playing to win a title and they won the title mm-hmm. 
yeah, whatever else you want to say, it definitely worked. Um, you talked about being in Orlando. That or, or Orlando put on a great show there. I want to talk about the format of the championship. So, what, what do you think about the idea of the championship being at a neutral site? Uh, there are certainly pros and cons, but you know, one of the cons is you know, if if I'm a fan watching the game, a lot of empty seats there. May, maybe it's less of an issue at a at a non-neutral site. What do you think about that idea? So I am a huge, 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 huge fan of it being at a neutral site because people can, like the media can book tickets ahead of time. We can get information ahead of time. We can get all that. And a lot of people can't go to the final. It doesn't matter where the final is. They're not going to be able to go. If you live in, you know, Canada, the chance of you going to any final that's not in Portland or Seattle or maybe New Jersey or Boston is small. And New Jersey and Boston probably aren't going to host the final anyway. So if it's anywhere south of Portland, you're not going. So the chances of you having to rely on the media grow based on location. Or if you're in you know, Sweden, you're not going to any final. So having the media be able to do proper coverage is important. Having fans that just want to go to the final being able to know where it is so they can book hotels and all of that, super important. Mm-hmm. I don't think the attendance would shift that much if this game had been in North Carolina. Yeah, they would have got 10,000 instead of the number they got, which is only a couple thousand off. Um, The experience probably would have been a little bit different, and I think that it would have been a little more energetic, but I don't honestly think it would have been that much different numbers-wise. And I think it would have been a logist... Like, a lot of media wouldn't have been able to go. A lot of fans wouldn't have been able to go that sort of were able to go to this neutral site and enjoy everything goes on. I have a piece coming out at the end of the month about how I'd like to improve the finals week because I think they can improve the week leading up to the game and not just have it sort of be that one-off event. Sure. Um, but I think that it has to stay at a neutral site. The only thing you can do is say, okay, we're going to have it in Portland every year and we're going to get 18,000, 20,000 people. And that would be great for Portland, but you can't do that. Like right. you can't... You can't sort of manufacture it to be in a place. And also, fundamentally and realistically, a team that you don't want the final to be at their location could have the final. Seattle had a final at Starfire. It was not the bell of the ball. Like, there are places in this league that you don't want finals to be held at. And if you go back to the highest seed hosts, okay, do you really want to go to Rutgers for the final? Like, Rutgers has been fine sort of functionally. You know, it's got a decent pitch. You know, people love it or hate it. But do you really want to go to Rutgers for the final? No, they're not going to have the final there. They're going to have it where the Red Bulls play probably. Okay, that's not a home venue anymore. Like, you're not playing on your home turf. It's a shorter drive for you, but it's not your home field. You don't have that home field advantage anymore. You haven't played there. You don't know the particulars of the field. You don't know this is your locker room. You don't necessarily know where you're walking. You don't know all these sort of small little things that give you home field advantage in the first place. So if you can't have it at every team's venue because of scheduling reasons, because of how the fields are or because of the stands or whatever capacity, why not have it at a neutral site or as close to a neutral site as you could get it and have it be something where you get to plan it out and enjoy it versus it being like, I have a week to come up with, you know, $6,000 for this weekend or, you know, plane tickets or or whatever. Um, $600 might be more reasonable, but uh, (laughs) anyway, I was, my numbers, man, my math skills, but you know what I mean? Like, Sometimes if 
if your team gets in, you're probably going to the final anyway if you can afford to go to the final. So why not have it at a place where more people can go realistically? I think there's been a ton blown out about the attendance numbers. I don't actually think it's that big of a deal. That's fair. I think, you know, uh, I think my podcast partner and I can consider ourselves talked out of our opinions on uh, the neutral location thing. It's a good, uh, a good handful of arguments there. I appreciate it. Um, I, I want to talk about, oh, I, I, I think it would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Blues a little bit here. Um, Kansas City has had some ownership issues over the last year. Um, man, I slipped into a hugely Minnesotan accent there for a second. Sorry about that. Uh, sorry, to, sorry to all of our listeners about that. Uh, the, so huge ownership issues for uh, Kansas City this year. Um, ownership uh, functioned remotely and was not active with the team. Now, uh, most recent news looks like uh, they could be headed to another city. So, so can you give us the latest update on Kansas City? And then I want to talk a little bit about what that means for the idea of, of an ideal ownership model in w, uh, NWSL. Is, it, you know, it, it, is having a team that's owned by, say, a parent MLS club a, a, the ideal situation, or can it be done better with more independent ownership, just maybe better than what Kansas City had at the time? So as far as Kansas City, we don't actually know a whole lot. We know that Real Salt Lake now has a women's team. We don't know the name. We don't know any of the details. They don't have a coach. Um, as far as we know, Sporting Kansas City was in talks to maybe buy the team. That fell through. About two weeks ago, Real Salt Lake got a call and said, hey, do you want to come into the NWSL next year? They said, sure. That's where we are. It's incredibly sort of this blob, amorphous thing at the moment. As far well, wanna, as we know... I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I want to throw out one more detail, too. Uh, a, a bit of a coaching shift as well as Kansas City's mm-hmm. um, coach has gone over to Seattle to fill a vacant role there, but no replacement coach has been named for Kansas City either, so there's a vacancy there right. as well. Te- kind of. I mean, if they're going to Salt Lake, it's going to end up... Salt Lake's going to pick the coach anyway, so you don't really get any more coaching open than, than are now. Um, but... Yeah, so we don't actually know what's going on. Chances are Real Salt Lake is going to get the contracts of everybody who is currently on KC, and it's going to become sort of the way that uh, Western New York became North Carolina. It's going to be messier because of the legal stuff around it. The ownership in Western New York, like, they sold. Like, the ownership for Kansas City seems to not either want to or not have all their legal ducks in a row. I'm not a lawyer. I don't even play one on the internet. So this is not my expertise. Um, but there's a lot of legal stuff behind the scenes that didn't have to didn't have to be dealt with with Western New York. And they seem to have like the stadium that North Carolina plays in is named after the ownership of the old Western New York. So it seems to have a fairly congenial relationship. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look like that's going to be the same here. Um, The ownership for Kansas City doesn't seem to want to sell. The league very much wants them to be out of the league because they have been bad owners. Mm -hmm. Um, So it sort of becomes that sort of almost a hostage situation. The league in the press conference today said there will be 10 teams. Technically, there are 11 at the moment. If you count uh, FC Casey and the Real Salt Lake as two separate teams until they're sort of forced to come together. I think it's going to be messy, and I think there's going to be a lot of trades of players getting out of their contracts once they, if they go in. I think that there's a chance that this is a very different team. And I don't think that's a bad idea. I don't think 
the if Real Salt Lake does get all the contracts, I don't think selling a bunch of players off is a bad idea because they can make it their team in a way that North Carolina was the Western New York Flash. Like 16 out of 20 roster spots were old Western New York players. Like it was Western New York Flash almost perfectly continued. If Real Salt Lake makes this their team, and they don't have a, a, a team name, which is why I keep going to defaulting to the men's team name. Right, right. But if they, if they make this their team year one, you don't have to really have the same, well, is this Kansas City? Isn't this Kansas City the way we sort of had to have with Western New York and North Carolina because it was such a continuation? If they sort of start over and say, okay, we're going to keep players X, Y, and Z, everybody else is for sale, give us your draft picks, give us your players, whatever, you know, and they do it that way. I actually think that might be a better model of sort of saying this is our team. We have all these pieces that we can trade away or that we can release from contracts or we can do X, Y, or Z with. I think that's a, I think that's a better model. I think that makes it more their team immediately versus having those months long conversations. Well, and I feel bad for the Kansas City fans though. I, I feel genuinely bad for the Kansas City because they are they they've had this completely bungled since the first sale of the team. Yep, you're, you're totally right there. Uh, uh, terrible for them and terrible, obviously, to lose a team that has, insofar as the NWSL has history, uh, great history and great success in the league. Um, and I call it, you know, you talked about um, Western New York moving to North Carolina and retaining that team. Well, they won the championship the previous year. Uh, it, you know, if FC Kansas City did not blow anybody away last year. So um, dismantling the players and the, the roster, if, they, if that's the right word for it, certainly makes more sense in the wake of a team that was less successful uh, than it would have if uh, you talk about New York moving to North Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are really good pieces on, on the FCKC roster as it stands that could get them trade. Like, Vladko and I think we have to talk. Vladko is in Seattle. Seattle is a team that could use a few of FCKC pieces. Like, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if Becky Sauerbrunn were to find herself paired with Lauren Barnes going into 2018, I don't think either Lauren Barnes or Becky Sauerbrunn would complain about that pairing. No kidding. If, say, a Seattle goalkeeper, because they have two starting quality goalkeeper, were to suddenly replace Nicole Barnhart because she literally lived in a boot for the last, say, three months of the season when she wasn't playing, you know, that would be a, a decent trade for them. And they could pair somebody else. They could give them a striker, maybe, and, and both teams would make out better than they started. So I think Seattle is probably prime trade bait. Is, is a prime trading partner for this new club because Vladko knows the players and Seattle has pieces they can move. And I think there are other clubs that will be very, very willing to trade with this new team. Great point. Uh, I want to talk about, and, and uh, this could be a whole podcast in of itself, uh, but I want to at least make sure I'm giving you the space to talk about the sort of pay gap. I, I want to give you the space to kind of summarize your thoughts about it. Um, and also consider for us, you know, whether we approach the pay gap differently for the national side versus the league teams and what are the structural differences in that. I just want to hear you. I, I can't weigh in on it because I personally am like sacrilegiously wealthy. But I want to I want to hear I want to hear from you what your thoughts are on the topic. So I have many thoughts on this topic and I don't know if they're controversial. I, I don't know. I because these are thoughts that I think make sense. But 
who knows? Maybe I'm I'm in, so inside my own soccer bubble that I I don't know what the common folk think. The the proletariat masses haven't burnt my house down yet, so you know I'm, I'm not good. Russia 1919, so yeah. we're good. Um, national team wise, I think it is more complicated than people want to give it credit for because there is the salary versus non-salary structure for the women versus the men, and I don't think you can make it quote equal pay. And I think that was a terrible, terrible slogan that they picked. I think fair pay would have been much, much more understandable for people. And I think they actually probably could have gotten more using a fair pay slogan than an equal pay slogan. Um, But I think because you have that contract system where Becky Sauerman's getting paid, whether they win, lose, or draw. Now, does she get more for wins? Obviously, she gets a bonus there. The men get a bonus for drawing, the women don't. Like, that stuff should be fixed. Like the men get a, a certain amount for wins, the women should get that amount. If they get a certain amount of money for food every day, the women should get the same as the men. That makes complete sense to me. Now, the problem is that because the women are salaried, if you want a true equal pay system, the women have to stop being salaried. The And I mentioned this before, the clubs can't pick up their health insurance costs. They can't pick up really a lot of the other things that the women have fought very, very, very hard for over the years to get and to keep. And I think it's difficult to say that you want equality among them when the women can't find equality in a contract that is exactly the same. Now, if you want to bring in people to say, okay, the salary pays for X, Y, and Z, we're going to attach this monetary value to it. The player association agrees to that monetary value being at like summing up the contract and the men make this much. Okay. We need to add $15,000 to the women to make it equal. Like if you want to do something like that, I'm completely on board, but either getting rid of the contract system, just wholesale, I don't think is a great idea. And I think the players association would fight tooth and nail. And I think saying, women need to sort of make more when they have or make the same when they have a system where it sort of is very very hard to figure out how those things are divvied up compared to the men i think it's really really difficult and i think it's being very very base summed up in women should make the same as the men or women should make more than the men or women should do this or that when i think it's a lot more nuanced and a lot more complicated because people don't actually realize there's two different structures in place for how each side is being paid and until the club system on the women's side steps up to a point where the minimum salary isn't fifteen thousand dollars it's closer to maybe 45 50 or sixty thousand dollars like i think the mls minimum is 60 right so until the women get to a place where they're guaranteed they're going to get sixty thousand dollars a year at least i don't think you can get rid of the salary structure which means you have to have the salary structure which means that the contracts will be inherently unequal so i i don't think it's as easy as people like to make it out that's a perfectly fair point to say and and uh, in a, a sort of twitter world when you have to condense ideas into sound bites you know uh, simply standing for the idea that feels right is often a lot simpler than getting into the nuance of how that plays out. Yeah, and I think I, I understand why the national team and the, the Players Association sort of went with the idea of equal pay. Like, it makes sense. But I think it's a little bit intellectually dishonest to say we want equal pay and not admit to the fact that you are on a contract. Basically, Carly Lloyd has to be called up. You don't have to call up Tim Howard. 
Like, you, you just don't have to because he's not under contract the same way Carly Lloyd is under contract. You have bought Carly Lloyd for the year when you put her on contract. She basically has to be called up. Now, if she's hurt or if, you know, the coach, the coach does have leeway to call up other people and to shift it around a little bit, not nearly the same way as the men. Like, the men just played Portugal, right? Their roster was not the roster that would go to a World Cup. The U.S. roster is basically more or less maybe five or six spots away from being a World Cup roster as it is right now. You would never have that for the men. But because of contracts, you sort of always have a kind of World Cup-ish roster for the women. That's a really good point. Um, I want to close on this. This is uh, we don't usually ask people to do this, but I want to give you the opportunity because we've we've not been in keeping with our usual podcast tenor. So I'll give you this: if you could say "fuck you" straight to someone's face in the women's <laughs> soccer world, who would it be? I have two answers. One is a lot funnier than the other. So <laughs> there, apparently, there is a player on NYCFC called RJ Allen. I looked it up. I am older, which means that I have rights to that name, and he doesn't. So fuck you. I said in the women's soccer world, uh, you're just yeah. you're just picking people now. I am. <laughs> I, I am a New Yorker. He plays for NYCFC. I get it. I literally get people every time he plays going into my Twitter and being like, "Oh, you just got a yellow card," and I'm like, "Look, <laughs> if he wants to trade his salary for mine, I can get the. I'll take the yellow card." So it's it counts as the women's soccer world because I have to personally deal with it, and I am a women's soccer writer, so I'm taking. Okay, that one. there you go. The other one is Mark Sampson. He can go fuck himself right out of England, and he fucked himself right out of a job. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's my serious one because he is a truly despicable person and it is a miscarriage of justice that he got the job he did and he kept it even though the bosses in England knew what a despicable person he was. Well, the more uh, the more I read each day on the Twitters and the, you know the other socials, I don't remember all of them. Uh, I think that he's mostly just a regular guy, insofar as I now understand a regular guy to just be fucking despicable, evil people. I will not say what I think of most men, though I will quote my uh, good friend Jacob Cristobal, uh, men are idiots. Oh yeah, it's totally true. Well, you, you just got to talk to one of those idiots for an hour, and um, we're 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 super grateful for you coming on, classing up the joint a little bit around here. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with uh, from the, world, the the women's soccer perspective? I will say this: every single club in the NWSL has players that do not play for a national team that will never play for a national team, but are excellent at what they do. McCall Zerboni, Nikki Stanton. Um, Lauren Barnes, though she got a call up, but still. Um, Carson Pickett, uh, Amber Brooks. Every team has these players. Find these players, learn about these players, and you will be amazed at how quickly you fall in love with players that aren't national team players and never will be. That's what's going to make you a fan of this team longer than Alex Morgan's going to be on Orlando or longer than Megan Rapinoe's going to play in Seattle find the the quote little players and love them because those are the players that actually make your team function in a way that the stars usually don't i love it rj on thanks for coming on thank you you're gonna have to be on one of my podcasts someday i don't think you want that <laughs> no i'm just crazy i'm one of those men you know you don't need that eh, 
I, I podcast with a man, and I'm starting a third podcast with another man. So, you know, I, I am used to the men's. All right, fair enough. I'll try, I'll try to be a good one. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Thanks to RJ Allen for uh, her time with me. Uh, she was very sweet. She works a night shift. She works like 11 p.m. to like 7 a.m. And she met with me uh, when I assumed she would otherwise be sleeping uh, because I'm a normal person and I work normal <laughs> person hours. So she's, yeah. she's very sweet about that. So thank you to RJ. So we're going to wrap it up. Tell yeah. them where they can find us. Yeah, this was a super great interview. Um, thank you to RJ for, for coming on and indulging us. Uh, <clears throat> you can find us always at the Dave's I Know mn at gmail.com that's our fancy email that no one ever actually writes to like, I'm going to reiterate you I got a lot of like fucking porn you send an email that. I will I will write you a, I mean, if you if you are a porn bot I will probably write you a letter if you give me an address to write it to <laughs> dearest <laughs> Alexis 6969 licky licky xxx yeah, uh, yeah uh, you can follow uh, us generally at tdikmn that's where we post all of the stuff this podcast uh, all the stuff. I actually wrote two things today, uh, or at Tuesday. This goes up on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, it took. It, sorry, it took me a, a little bit. I had to do some life things, and then like fucking inter, inter, international break happened, and I just lost track of time and stuff. I was so. on an international break recently as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you were. Yeah. Uh, you can find uh, Martin at offensive underscore loons. You can find me at Texas Zeller. Um, Facebook. Apparently, people still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our shit gets posted because we still get like I still get like notifications of like uh, Dave's I know on Facebook. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Uh, Twitter again at TDKMN. Should we start an Instagram? Do you think? We probably should. People like that kind of thing. Yeah, it's Snapchat. So, so should we start, hey, should we start hit, a Tinder? <laughs> yes. Fucking Dave's Definitely I know Tinder. Uh, let us know if we should start a Snapchat, a Dave's I know Snapchat, because. Something I would be totally down to do. I am totally uninterested in that. So. I don't want any part of it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for RJ Allen. Um, and yeah, we'll probably we'll we'll see you guys again soon on the on the flippity floppity. If you're lucky, have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. We are yep. the Daves. You know, this has been the Daves I know. You do yours, land here, become fecund. Yeah, uh, we, we yeah. do our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. Do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all.